0: This been over 90 weeks in Matthew, and it has been good. I don't know how we did that, 28 chapters, we made it 90 weeks, but um, this is maybe the most familiar passage in Matthew. It's this great commission. It's Jesus saying, here's what the church is going to be about. <clears throat> his last instructions, his final words before he ascends to the Father, and he says, here is what you're going to do. Here's the mission that he gives the church. <clears throat> I know it's a familiar passage, but I think it'll help, like, if you just see it through that lens of this is the mission of the church. This is what the church is here for. This is, there's a lot of different things we do as a church. There's a lot of different things that we do to serve our community and serve people and and bless our community, and there's a lot of different ministries, a lot of different programs, and all of them are good, and they're all um, ultimately, under this umbrella of this mission that Jesus gave us to go make disciples, that that is what we're called to do. And so at, at Crosspoint, we say it this way. We, we want you to know God, be known, and to make him known. We believe that the Bible teaches that's what a disciple is doing. We're on this journey of knowing God as well as we possibly can know him, to pursue this relationship with him. And then we're doing that in the context of community. So we're known, we're transparent, we're real, we're authentic with each other. We're doing life with other people as they spur us on, as they sharpen us. And then we want to be on mission. We want to make him known. Know God, be known, make him known. But that's really just the way we say what Jesus is saying here, make disciples. This is the mission that he gave us. And so, look at this passage today through that lens. Look at this passage like this is ultimate for the church. This is how everything we do is supposed to make sense and fall under this idea of making disciples that Jesus told his church that they were going to do. Now, the... The part where he says, go and make disciples, that's the part that gets all the credit. But I, I, want us, I, want, I want us to look at verse 18, because that's where Jesus starts, and so that's where we need to start. He meets them on this mountain, and he's about to give them this instruction. He's about to say, here's the mission for the church. And in verse 18, he says, it says, Jesus came, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He starts there because we're going to need that. He starts there because we're going to need some authority as we embrace the mission that God has called us to. We're going to need some power. We're going to need some help. We're going to need some some, somebody that has the authority to send us like this. We're going to need that. And Jesus says, hey, just so you know, all authority's been given to me. I've got all the authority on heaven and on earth. I've got it all. All of it has been given to me. And we've seen that through our study of Matthew. We've seen the evidence of his authority, of how he has all authority. Uh, He has this authority in so many different ways. And so what he's doing is he's sending us with authority. That as we embrace the mission, that we understand that we are sent with ultimate authority because he has all of the authority. And in Matthew, we've seen that play out with his authority over wind and waves. Like he would speak and the wind would stop blowing and the waves would stop. The storm would, be, it would just completely go away. He would just say, peace, be still. I don't know about you. It's been a, few, a windy couple of weeks. I'm ready for Jesus to speak into this. Can we stop with the wind just for a couple of days? I could get some things done without the allergies. Like, he speaks and the wind and the waves are gone. It's over. He has authority over wind and waves. He has authority as a teacher. We saw this in Matthew where he would teach and they would go, well, this guy teaches something he teaches very differently than the religious leaders because he taught with authority. It specifically said that. He taught as someone who knew exactly what he was talking about. And so he demonstrates that ultimate authority as a teacher. He has an ultimate authority over matter. It feeds 5,000 people with a couple of fish and some loaves of bread just multiplies it just because he's there, because he's God in the flesh. He has authority like that to do something that no one else could possibly do. He has authority over matter. He has authority over disease and sickness. We saw that multiple times. He healed a blind person. Uh, He healed someone that was lame. He even uh, healed sick people. Even a couple times he brought people back from the grave, from, from death. He has ultimate authority over sickness and death. He can touch, he can speak a word, and people are healed. He has authority over demons. I mean, he would say a word and cast them out. They would flee. He'd say, be gone, be removed. There's that one story we saw in Matthew where he cast some demons into some pigs. The pigs ran off the cliff. Those pigs had owners that were angry because those weren't rented pigs. Those were owned pigs, and you don't want to rent pigs. So he has authority over demons. He has authority over Satan. Satan tempted him, tried to give him a different path. Jesus rejected him, used the word, and Satan fled from him and left him. Like, he has authority over Satan. And he obviously has authority over death. I mean, he's standing in front of these guys, giving this great commission to them after just dying on a cross, body taken down off the cross, buried in a barred tomb, and then on the third day, he comes back to life. He comes out of the grave and is alive standing in front of these guys again. He has authority over death. He's just demonstrated that authority over death, over grave, over sin. He's conquered it all. He has ultimate authority. And so he's sending us on this mission with ultimate authority. And, guys, we... We don't want to rush past that because we need that so much. Because here's what we're doing. We're we're going into the world with a message, and that message is that Jesus is the only hope for the world. The message that we have to proclaim, that Jesus gives us to proclaim is an exclusive message. Jesus said, Jesus talking, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other path. To, to God other than what the path that Jesus made for us. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. You can't find it outside of him. It's an exclusive claim. The, his disciples saw that, picked up on that, and communicated that when they began to embrace this mission. Peter, in Acts chapter 4, he's t- speaking to the religious leaders, and he says, hey, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only hope for the world. And we have a message to proclaim that there is no hope outside of Jesus, that all of us are separated and destined for God's wrath other than Jesus coming in and rescuing us. And we have to share that message with the world. So we're asking, or we're basically going to the world with a message that changes everything. We're we're trying to change people's minds about everything that they understand about the world. We're, we're changing their lives with this message. Now, you understand, we're not changing anybody's lives. God is the one doing that. He's given us this mission, and that's the result of when we're faithful with that people's lives are changed forever because of God's work through his people on mission. That's what he's called us to do. And if you're going to do that, you better have some authority. You better have somebody with some real clout sending you with that kind of mission to change somebody's mind. You ever tried to change anybody's mind? Does that work well for you? I mean, even if you know that they're wrong, let me give you an exercise for today. This afternoon, you got nothing to do? Um, Get on social media and see if you can find somebody that has a strong opinion about something. (laughs) May take a minute, I get it. And when you find that, wade into that conversation and see if you can change your mind. Don't do that. Please don't do that, really. I, it'd be better for you to go out in your yard and try to get a tree to change its mind. That'd be a better use of your time. Or just like put on golf and fall asleep. Like that's better, okay? Like it's so hard to change people's minds, And it doesn't, we, you can talk about big things, but I'm just talking about little bitty things, you know, like iPhone or Android, try to change somebody's mind on this one side of that thing. I mean, a few weeks ago, Kai preached, and we found out that some of you guys think that In-N-Out, that makes a better burger than Whataburger. And so even though you're wrong, it's hard to change your mind. My son, Dub, back there in the corner, who's a senior in high school, about to graduate and go off into the world, doesn't like bacon. Yeah. He doesn't like bacon. I promise y'all, I've taught him, I've pled with him, I've prayed for him and he just doesn't like bacon, and he's about to be unleashed into the world. I mean, it's hard to change somebody's mind about something that's not significant. And what Jesus is saying is, go in the world and have this message going to change everything. It's the most important, most significant message of all time. Go take that message to the world. You better have some authority. You better know who's sending you. You better know what kind of power he's made available to do this kind of mission because that's a big, big deal. And that's what Jesus says. That's I think that's why he starts. Hey, just remember, as I'm sending you, I'm sending you with ultimate authority because I have all of it. I have all the authority you could ever need. <laughs> Kevin DeYoung in his book, What is the Mission of the Church? It's a great book, so simple, so just right to the point about the Great Commission. He says it this way, there can... Only be a mission imperative, a command, because there's first this glorious indicative, this truth that God does not send out his church to conquer. He sends us out in the name of the one who has already conquered. We go only because he reigns. We go on this mission knowing that, hey, this actually might work because he's sending us, and he's sending us with all authority. And so if we're going to embrace the mission, we better have some authority behind us. And Jesus says, I got all the authority, and I'm, I'm going to send. Now, this, this will help us on the mission. This will help us embrace the mission, absolutely. But if you think about this authority idea, it helps you in every single phase of your life. The, the, every area of your life where you're trusting in Jesus, that only happens if he's really reigning and ruling over everything. The, the fact that I can trust that Jesus is going to come through on all the promises that he's given us, the fact that I can trust that all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that, that faith and that hope comes from the fact that Jesus is in control of everything. He's reigning and he's ruling over everything. There's not a place, there's not a circumstance where he's not in control. So I can live my life and trust Jesus knowing that he's in charge of it all. So he's in charge of the mission, but he's in charge of everything about our lives. I mean, one of the the things I love about being a parent is that you get to make up your own rules. I mean, there's some standards that everybody has to do, right? Don't play in the street or whatever. Like, I haven't seen anybody decide to do that one differently. Like, yeah, we're going to, our kids are going to play in the street. Like, no, there's some standards. But for the most part, like, there's a bunch of gray areas where you get to decide how you're going to do that. And because of that, I kind of enjoy being a weird parent every now and then. And the reason I know I'm a weird parent is because my kids tell me I'm a weird parent. And they tell me that my rules are really, really different from other people's rules. I mean, whatever it is, like we, we decided, we have four kids, and so my wife and I decided several years ago we're going to make them do their own laundry. If you want to have clean clothes, and we think you, you should want that, then you need to do your own laundry. And my kids have told me many times that their friends don't have to do their own laundry that their friends' parents don't have these kind of rules. We have weird rules, and it's okay. I think if you're not, if your kids don't look at you sometimes and think, my parents are weird, you're probably not doing this right. You're probably not. I mean, we have weird rules about cell phones. We don't want their cell phones in their rooms at night, so we tell them that cell phones are on the charging station at night. And They're like, well, my friend's parents, let them have their cell phones in their rooms. And I'm like, well, maybe your friend's parents love their kids more than I love you. Maybe that's what's going on. I'm just joking, really. But like, there's this idea that my rules are so different from all their friends' rules that I'm I've, I've, I'm the weird parent, and that's okay with me because here's the deal: I don't go into their friends' houses and tell them to adopt my rules. I don't go into their friends. My, my kids are so glad I don't try to do that. So I'm like, hey, you should go in and you should make your kids do their own laundry. Some of you, are like some of you kids right now, are mad at me because your parents heard this idea, right? But I don't, I don't have that kind of authority. I'm in control, and I have authority at my house. Now, I know I don't, but it helps me to believe that I do, okay? I know that I'm not in control of anything, really, but it helps me to think that at least in my house, I'm in control. <laughs> I don't have that kind of control of to go into somebody else's house and tell them how to do things. I, it doesn't matter to me on these gray areas how you do these things, how you do cell phones, how, if you do sleep over, doesn't, doesn't matter. Like your rules are your rules, you get to do it. it. Doesn't matter. I don't have that kind of authority. And here's what Jesus is saying. There's not a place you can go. There's not a circumstance you'll be in where he's not in control, where he's not reigning and ruling over it all. And so you can trust him. You can trust him with everything, because you know, he's always, always, always in control. That's the beauty of this, and it's it's obviously going to help us on the mission as he sends us to make disciples. We know that he has all the authority, and he's reigning and ruling over every corner of planet Earth as he sends us. So we're sent with ultimate authority, and then we get into the actual mission that he's given us. And and what we see here is that we're sent with mission clarity. He makes it really, really clear what the mission is. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what you're supposed to do on this mission. Mission clarity. Now, what he says here in verse 18, verse 19 really is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And the, the command, the mission, the great commission is really just that. Make disciples of all nations. There's a little English thing we can do that a lot of people talk about. I don't want to make a big deal about it, but I do think it's important to point out that the command verb in the sentence is make disciples. It's not go. Go is a participle, which means it's basically saying that as you're going, make disciples. As you're on your way in life, as you're on the move, as you're on your way to other nations, make disciples. Here's the command. Make disciples of all nations. And so that is the commission. That's the mission. That is what the church is supposed to be doing. Make disciples of all nations. And we're going to talk about what it looks like, what Jesus says it looks like to make disciples in just a second, but I don't want to skip the of all the nations part. Because it's really, really tempting to say something like this. Hey, there's a lot of needs right here in our hometown. Why do we have to go to the other side of the world? Well, the reason is because Jesus said to. If we are only focused on our hometown, and and guys, we have to. We we're supposed to be a blessing right here where we are. We're supposed to serve our community. We're supposed to be on mission right here in our community. But if that's all we're doing and we're ignoring the rest of the world, we're really not embracing God's mission. His mission is for all the nations. Every nation, every tribe, every people group, that's his mission. The Bible says that in the end, as we're all worshiping in heaven, there will be people from every nation, every tribe, and every language represented. Now, here's the deal. 2022, right now, there's over 60 people groups that are considered unreached in our world today. Over 6,000 unreached people groups. That is 6,000 whole groups of people that are considered unreached in our world. It means they don't have access to the gospel. It's very limited or not even there. There's no church that they could attend. Not, they're not going to run into a Christian in their normal daily life. And this people group, these people groups, over 6,000 people groups, represents over 3 billion people. One theologian said, we talk about the second coming all the time when half of the world has never even heard about the first. There's a mission that he's called us to, to go to all the nations, to take the gospel to places where the gospel is not there. It's not existence, not being proclaimed, and that is the mission. And so what we want to be as a church is to understand that this, this charge, this mission that he's given us, it's clear. We're supposed to make disciples of all the nations. We're going to make disciples here in our community, and we're going to be involved in what God is doing around the world in all kinds of different ways. We've sent people from our body to live overseas. We've sent teams to serve. Our youth serve at LaunchBox and at San Antonio over spring break the last two years with refugees that represent some of these unreached people groups. We'll have a team of students and adults that go to New York this summer, and they'll run into people from maybe as many as 30 different countries, many of them unreached people groups in New York. We're about to start recruiting and enlisting a team to go at the end of the summer to Honduras to make Jesus known to people in need down there, to villages that maybe don't have a church and the gospel's not been proclaimed, like We want to be a church that's involved in what God is doing on this mission with a global focus. Because our God's mission is global. So we must be globally minded. It's local and global. It's both. It's all of it. And we want to make sure that we're not missing that in any way. So make disciples of all nations. So how do you do that? Well, here's what Jesus says. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and he says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we're going to do is baptize them. And what that's referring to is their conversion. It's, It's talking about proclaiming the good news of the gospel, sharing the gospel with people, sharing the truth that they're separated from God, we're all separated from God because of our sin, and Jesus came and died in our place on the cross to bring us back to God, to make a, a way for us to get back to God, to restore us to a right relationship with God. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we turn away from our sin and turn to him, surrender to him, give him control, put our faith and trust in him, he... Rescues us, he saves us, and that's the only hope for the world. And so, we're going to go in the world and we're going to proclaim this gospel message and we're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And that is this conversion that we're going to see God do as we're on mission. That's one part of making disciples, converting them, showing them the truth, and seeing God change their life forever. And. and Baptism is how he says that because in the Bible, baptism is that step of that public proclamation. I think we're doing baptism next week. And, and if you haven't been baptized, if you, if you haven't been baptized according to what the Bible says, come talk to us. We'd like to do that next week. We'd like to baptize you as you publicly proclaim your faith in front of everyone and say, I'm going to be a part of what Jesus is doing. I'm part of his family and part of this church. So we're going to baptize. We're going we're to share the gospel with people so that we see God move them from death to life, from darkness to light. But it's not just that. He also says we're going to teach them. We're baptizing and teaching. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so there's there's those two extremes. You know, we just share the gospel, share the gospel, try to get people to pray a prayer, check a box, and then we move on. And then there's this other extreme where we forget to share the gospel and we're just trying to you know, grow as deep as we can and know as much as we can. But if you're going to make disciples, if you're going to do what Jesus is saying the church is going to do, you're going to be a disciple-making church, you're doing both. You're proclaiming the gospel each and every week. You're sharing the gospel. You're seeing people give their life, put their faith and trust in Jesus, and then you don't leave them, you're teaching them. You're training them. You're discipling them. Jesus says, here's how you make disciples. You share the gospel with them, and then you teach them all that I've commanded you. Teach them to observe it. Teach them to follow. You're helping people follow Jesus. Now that I've put my faith and trust in him, life is going to be different. How do I do that? You need people to come alongside of you and show you what that life looks like, to show you how to follow Jesus, to show you what it looks like to live your life for him because it changed everything. And so that's what we want to do. Now, if you're going to teach somebody how to follow Jesus, you probably ought to be following Jesus. If you're going to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded, then it's probably a good thing that you're observing all that Jesus commanded. And I'm, Guys, I'm not talking about perfection. We're all on a journey. We're all figuring this out. We're all moving a little bit closer day by day, being transformed one degree of glory to another into the image of the Son. That's what I'm talking about. But if we're going to teach if we're going to make disciples, if we're going to have a kids ministry that makes disciples, if we're going to have a youth ministry that makes disciples, and we're going to have adults come alongside in our kids ministry and our, our youth ministry to make disciples, if we're going to do all these things, we ought to be following. We ought to be observing this. We ought to be, our lives ought to be being shaped by Jesus' teachings so that we can help others understand those teachings. And this teaching is—it's important. It's crucial to the process of disciple. That's, guys. That's one of the reasons why we think it's important that we gather here on Sundays, because we're all sitting under the teaching of God's word. We're learning together. I'm learning in Matthew. We all learned in Zechariah. Like we're like learning together, and we're going through this journey together. So our youth, Nick leads our youth, and Kate leads our, the, the way. They lead it with this Bible. A centered approach of teaching God's word and showing them how they apply it to their lives. That's why we're doing Awana, so we can teach these kids to hide God's word in their heart, so they learn God's word, so they know God's word. That's why Scott Sutton recently started that thing called Team Howard. Weirdest name ever, but it's teaching our 5th and 6th graders how to study God's word and learn God's word. Because we want to be a teaching church. We want to share the gospel and we want to teach people and show them how to do that. And if we don't know that ourselves, we're going to have a hard time teaching anybody else. If we're not following Jesus, it's going to be a hard time for anybody else to follow Jesus. There's this idea that follow me as I follow Christ. That that's going to play out in your home, in our church, in this community that we have, in the world that we live in. That people will look to us and as we follow Jesus, they'll follow Jesus. The example that we set for them that's an important part of this thing my daughter Gloria over here ninth grader and she's in high school this year she took a class called fashion design I never heard of such a thing in my life like there's a whole class called fashion design and what they do is they design clothes and then they make them and she's not Amish or anything like they make their clothes and they design the clothes, and then she knows how to sew because her grandmother taught her how to sew. That's why she got interested in it. She has a sewing machine, and she has made clothes. She's made some pajama bottoms, and then she's made a dress. And in like a week or so, I'm going to go to a fashion show. First time ever in my life, I'm going to a fashion show, and she's going to show off the clothes that she made this year. It's pretty incredible. Um, if you need something made or sewed in a hole or something, like, Gloria's your girl. Glory sometimes will sew on her own at our house, not even part of her class. And every every now and then, she'll get stuck. And every now and then, she won't know exactly how to fix something or do this right, or maybe something goes wrong with her sewing machine. And in all those instances, she's never once asked me how to help her. She'll walk right past me to go find her mom, or she'll walk right past me to pick up her phone and call her grandma. And she didn't ask me a thing about sewing because she knows I don't know anything about sewing. I've never sewn anything in my life. I've never even thought about sewing anything in my life. It's amazing, but even right now, I'm not thinking about sewing anything. (laughs) She didn't ask me anything about sewing. I would be no help to her. But every now and then, she wants to go fishing. and she wants to go fishing, she asks me for help. I know something about fishing, mostly because she wants me to put the worm on the hook and then take the fish off so she can just do the catching part. But that's a whole different story. That's how we work this thing. But she will ask me questions about fishing because she knows I know something about that. She's seen me catch one fish every now and then. If we're going to teach people, we need to know something about this. We need to know what Jesus has taught us. We need to We need to see Jesus shaping us. We've just been... 90-something weeks in the book of Matthew, and we've seen Jesus do a lot of things, and we've seen Jesus teach us a lot of things. Here's the question. How has that shaped us? How has his teaching, as he stands on this mountain here and says, teach them all to observe what I've commanded you, how has that teaching shaped us? And so I thought maybe just for a minute we would walk through some of the teachings that we've seen. You know, he started it on a mountain His ministry kind of began on the Sermon on the Mount with this mountain teaching, and then he ends it on a mountain sending us to teach what he taught. So how has this shaped us? How are we being shaped by his word so that we can make disciples of others? Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How that shaped us? When it's so easy every single day to build up a treasure for myself, how does this teaching, how has that shaped me? How is it challenging us as a people to store up treasure where it really matters and where it lasts? Because later on in the same passage in verse 33, Jesus sums up this whole teaching saying this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in all these things, all these things that we worry about, food, what we wear, all all that will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. Put his kingdom first on top of everything else on your list. How does that teaching, how has that shaped us so that we can teach others? We want people to do that because we know this is the best way to live life. This is the worry-free, anxiety-free, trusting life that Jesus has called us to. It's better to live this way. So how is that shaping us so that we can teach others? Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, that's the person who will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? If anyone wants to follow Jesus, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow him. You want to save your life? Be willing to lay it down. Be willing to lose it. Then you'll find it. Jesus has got an upside-down kingdom that he's implementing and teaches us about. And so how has his teaching shaped us as a people so we're on this journey becoming more like him so that we can make disciples of the people around us? Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus called to them and said, Hey, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them? It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, Here's how you want to be great. Here's how you lead others serve them, put others first. How is Jesus' teaching shaping us so that we see others and put them first and look to the interests of others before ourselves the way Jesus did when he came not to be served but to serve and to lay his life down for us? How is that shaping us into the people that we are disciples and those are the people that make disciples? And this last one, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know the context? Hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, here it is. Love God with everything you have. Oh, and there's a second one just like it. Love your neighbor like yourself. The great commandment fuels the great commission we'll embrace God's mission when we love God with all of our heart and then we understand that he's made a whole world of diversity, different people, different countries, different backgrounds and we're going to share heaven with many of them and we're going to go appreciating God's creation into the world on this mission and we're going to do that because of our love for our neighbor. We're going to love our neighbor enough to share the gospel with them. Love the people on the other side of the planet enough to share the gospel with them. The great commandment fuels the great commission. So how are these words shaping us how has our love for God grown because of the teaching of his word, because of understanding who he is and what he's done even more than we used to? And we're becoming more like him because those are the people that make disciples. It's the disciples. It's the ones who are following that can help people, other people follow. We have a mission, and we're sent with mission clarity. And this last thing maybe the most important. We're, we're sent with needed community. When, when Jesus gives us commission and sends us with this great mission, he doesn't send us alone. He, he sends us in the context of a community because this mission going to be carried out in the church. We're going to do this together. And uh, by the way, there's a place for every single one of us in this room on this mission. Don't, don't miss the verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him, oh, but some doubted. Some people were like, let's go. And some people were still confused by the whole thing. Some people were still doubting and some people are a little curious, trying to figure this out, not really sure what this looks like. He gave the commission to the whole group. There's room for you if you're just curious and checking this thing out. There's room for you here. There's a spot for you here. You, 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 got, you got some doubts, you're not even really sure about this whole thing, there's a spot for you right here with this people. To explore those things and see other people who believe it and be discipled by them. There's room for every single one of us, whether we're let's go or we're still trying to figure it out. There's room. Because Jesus says, I'm not going to send you alone. You're not going to go into this mission and he's not saying, hey, okay, go, good luck. I'm going to be sitting up in heaven watching. Like he says, I will be with you. Look at what he says. I am with you always To the end of the age. So he sends us in the context of community, but the real community that matters here is that he's with us. And I said community because he's sending us and he says he's gonna go with us, but what he's gonna do is he's gonna send the Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us for the mission, and the Holy Spirit's with us all the time, so wherever we go, he's with us. We're never alone. Uh, Some of the church leadership have been reading this book called Lead by Paul Tripp. And in the introduction, he says this. These words are much deeper than Jesus saying, I'll be there for you. Jesus is taking one of the names of God, I am. He says, know that wherever you go, the I am will be with you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one on whom all the covenant promises rest. The one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who is Alpha and Omega I am the I am, and I would never think of sending you without going with you in power, glory, wisdom, and grace. The disciples would find all they needed for what they were being commissioned to do in the power, presence, and grace of the one sending them. We're not alone. He stands up at the first and he says, all authority has been given to me and I'm giving you that authority. I'm I'm sending you with my power. And on the back end he says, and I'm not sending you alone, because I'm going to be with you. I'm giving you my presence. The mission happens because of his power and his presence with his people. It's not up to us. It's all his work through us. We just be obedient, and we see his power at work, and he's always there with us. So it doesn't matter where the mission plays out. You're never alone. If you go to your school campus and you want to go make disciples and share the gospel there, he's with you. If you're about to be sent into the college world and on a college campus, he's with you. If you're making disciples in your home, Jesus is fueling that. He's giving you what you need to do that. You go to work, you go to your neighbors, you go to the Middle East, you go to New York City, you go to Germany, you go to San Antonio, you go to Honduras. Jesus is with you. He's always with us. We never go alone. Even when we send a couple out to the Middle East and we don't all go with them, they're not alone. He's With us. That's his promise for us. And so as we engage his mission, we know that he has all the power. And he says, I'm sending you with that power, that authority. And he is not leaving us behind, not sending us out and watching. He goes with us. So we can embrace it. We can make disciples because of his power and his presence in our lives. So let's be that. Let's be the church in our community and all over the world. Make disciples. Of all the nations. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you for the study in Matthew, even walking back through some of these high points of your teaching. It's been so good and so helpful, and it's shaped so many of us. There's so many different stories, even in this room, of that. And God, we're just thankful for how you're always shaping us and how you're always pulling us closer. And God, I pray that you would help us as your people to embrace this mission that you have given us. That we we would serve you and follow you and see you work through us to make disciples right here in our community and even to the ends of the earth. And we pray that you would do that in the powerful name of Jesus who made all that possible. Amen.